It's Thursday Finance on 2NURFM. Stephen Pritchard, we're, well, we're heading into the world of finance and a little bit later on, no doubt, we'll all be thinking about buying a house. But right at the moment, let's take a look at currencies and commodities. What's been doing well this last week? Anything? Um, the oil price a bit. Oil price? Oil price. Is it going the right way? Well, it depends whether you're a, a, a owner of it or a consumer of it. Ah, yes. <laughs> yeah, so, so the gold price, the gold, the gold price was down one percent on the week to seventeen hundred and twenty-three dollars, which is interesting because you would have thought the gold prices actually should be moving the other way with all the all the proposed political problems between China and the US. But anyhow, it's not happening. Um, the, the, the copper, the copper price was down one point three percent. Um, to $8,787 a tonne, and the crude oil price was up 2.2% to $94.72 a barrel. Um, the Australian currency was generally up across the board. Um, we were up uh, um, 0.4% to $77.89 um, at the close yesterday. Uh, the Great British Pound were up half a percent to 5483 uh, pence and in the euro we were pretty much steady at 62.91 euro cents um so the equity market was not 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 much movement there really um you know there's been a few um financial stocks sort of uh, haven't fared too well over the last week, but oh, but, yes, gen- with but generally, inquiry. Uh, yes, has it been uh, making a big difference? Uh, to some of them, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so the uh, the all ordinaries was uh, five thousand nine hundred fifty six, which was up forty four points on the week. So we're still a bit below six thousand, a bit to go. Um, the S and P uh, five hundred was uh, up one point six percent of the week to two thousand seven hundred eight. And the Hang Seng was down 1.7% to 30,284. Now, just before we leave the banks and the we commission. The banks, yeah, yes. uh, yeah we? the Royal Commission, yeah, we're going. The Royal Commission. Yeah, um, it's not just the big four banks, is it, that are included in this? In this inquiry? No, the, the original, there was an original. Um, uh, the original terms of reference was, or what was what was being pushed by the National Party, was an inquiry into the big four banks. Um, somewhere, uh, or, or acquire into the banks. Now, the big four banks, you know, probably got eighty or ninety percent of the market share. Um, and then, so that would have been all banks. And then there was some push from somewhere else to include um, financial planning and wealth management. And I bet the big four banks are very pleased with that after the, after what's been happening, what's been going on at AMP is all coming to light. So that's kind of deflected the inquiry off um, what it was originally supposed to have been. Hmm. So we're probably going to talk a bit about that with, with Henry. Henry a bit later. Mm, but good. yeah, so so the, the banks, because I think it's still called the Banking Royal Commission, but the, the terms have kind of widened from what you'd call banking to also wealth management and um, an AMP seems to be in the news a lot lately. Mm, it certainly does. Yes. Mm. Okay. But I don't know that there's any real surprises there. It's going to go on for a while, isn't it? Uh, I've heard the Royal Commission's asked for an extension already. So plenty more exciting news to come from that. Um, mm. Probably, yes. <laughs> um um, and BHP, BHP is up 1.4% for the, for the week to $30.07. Um, and CBA was, uh, down 
almost 1% to $72.41. And I think you're going to see the big four banks and AMP or the five pillars, as they're commonly known, um, continue to fall as long as things keep coming out of the Royal Commission that, that, uh, in, that, that isn't going well. I mean, AMP, there's a claim that AMP's put the shareholders above their clients. Well, mm. um, that may be so, but the way the sharehold, the share price and the dividends have been performing at AMP, it hasn't done the shareholders any good either. So I think, I think yeah. the real answer is that AMP's put the executives above the shareholders and the clients. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, NIB, NIB's, um, has continued to drift down. It's down to $5.77, uh, which is down almost, uh, but I have 1% on the week, but still, I mean, it's still been a very good investment for, for people who picked it up at, um, the, the so-called free ones, which I think have got a notional cost of 80 cents. And, um, yeah. Hmm. And, yes. uh, uh, Telstra, Telstra was up on the week surprisingly by three cents to, uh, $3 and 12. Um, and I do say surprisingly. Hmm. Um, Newcastle's unleaded fuel price was, um, uh, up five percent on the week to a dollar forty three point six a litre. So I wonder how long before we get to a dollar fifty there. Mm-hmm. And the Sydney price was a dollar forty four point five, so that was up seven cents. So seven percent, sorry. Um, the diesel price a dollar forty in Newcastle and a dollar thirty eight in Sydney. Mm. No need to worry because it's time for our market update with Henry Jennings, senior commentator of the Marcus Today Financial Newsletter. Over to you, Stephen. Henry. Good afternoon, Stephen. How are you? I'm good. I, I, I haven't been watching the Royal Commission today, so... Uh, you haven't been. It's it's riveting stuff. Oh, you're going to laugh a minute, is it? Um, I don't know if laugh a minute's the, uh, the, the, uh, the kind of feel of the thing. I think it's a bit like watching um, the uh, the Colosseum, watching the, um, the lions devour the Christians. Ah, yes. uh, um, it's been very, um, very interesting. And so, yes, yeah, so CBA has come out and said they're going to list Colonial First State Global Asset Management separately. Do you think that's got something to do with the Royal Commission? Oh, so I, well, I think it's been in the wind for a while, and all the big banks have been trying to distance themselves from their wealth management and their fund management side of things. Um, there's been a few constraints on growing the uh, the colonial first state business as well due to balance sheet issues with the way uh, it would be treated if they made some acquisitions. So that will free up colonial first state. This, I mean, it's been a fantastic success story, colonial yep. first state. They've got $220 billion under management. Um, so it's been very, very good. Um, but I guess there comes a time when uh, you have to let uh, let your let your children run free and uh, and become um, uh, you know have a life of their own. And this is that time. It's going to be worth about sort of four or five billion dollars, I guess, depending on how you value it. The interesting thing is whether you, as a Commonwealth Bank shareholder, will get a preferential treatment. Um, I guess you will. Um, unlike some of the other sort of hive offs that we've seen with National Bank with. Um, Clydesdale, um, you're not going to get a distribution of the uh, of the business. You're going to have to uh, apply for uh, for an IPO, which you know is if you're a shareholder of Commonwealth Bank, you're going to be buying your own business effectively. Yeah. So, so what are they going to do with all the money they're going to get? Well, one would like to think they will then give that money back to shareholders. 
and via some sort of um, special dividend or something like that. But um, it's certainly unlikely they'll go on an acquisition spree, given that there's not much to buy and they're trying to get out of things. And banks are actually shrinking at the moment to become more like building societies than the bank. Mm, yeah, um, right. We've very little to differentiate between the big four. That's right. That's right. I mean, it's a wonder. I would have thought they should just be giving those out to the shareholders just to a... To a, just to a and there are some uh, tax advantages in demergering companies rather than just spinning them out as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it always puzzles me. I mean, we, we've been through this many times with privatizations where the taxpayer, which already owns a business, gets the chance to buy that business mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's similar with Commonwealth Bank. You know, you already own that colonial first state because you're a shareholder of Commonwealth Bank. Yes. So if, if you're invited to buy the shares in that, that's, you know, you're kind of... Uh, it sounds a bit like double dipping to me. Mm, sounds a bit like what seems to be endemic at AMP. Yeah, poor old AMP. You have to feel a, a little sorry for the hapless executives that are put on file in front of the Royal Commission. They must draw straws uh, in the morning meeting to decide who's going to be thrown to the lions. But certainly AMP have not covered themselves in glory. And, and they have, uh, What's I guess what's really worrying is that even the fact that they've been allegedly ripping off uh, clients, um, some dead ones and some alive ones and all sorts of other ones, um, they still struggle to make money. So, um, you know, it's not been a, a very nice situation if you've been on one of those AMP platforms um, and uh, clearly you know, the last few days revelations have not been good for the share price nor should they have been good um, and there will be some serious changes I'd imagine at the AMP and, and one of the really worrying things to come out of this and I guess you and I have known this all along is that um, independent reviews and independent inquiries are never independent because, no. because someone's paying for them well, that's right. And, and it's usually if the bank launches an independent inquiry, it means that we're paying for it, so we want the result and the answer that we want to begin with. And, you know, you never launch an inquiry unless you know the answer. Um, mm. Unfortunately, the government does seem to have launched a Royal Commission without knowing how bad it was going to be, which is uh, uh, not a good sign. Of course, if they'd have just stuck to banking as it was proposed to start with, yeah. all this wouldn't have come out. I bet your AMP's not happy at all. No. Well, I guess one of the, part of the problem is that the whole culture um, you know, of selling policies and selling product um, is very much geared to selling. It's not very much geared to uh, giving the best advice. And even the fact that the government has to legislate financial planners into put the client first seems extraordinary to me that um, that has to be legislated. That should be kind of the whole point of the exercise uh, from an ethics point of view from day one. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the problem at AMP goes all the way to the board. I think the fish rots from the head, as one of the journalists in the Sydney Morning Herald very uh, rightly put it. Of course, Craig Mellor is uh, is moving on. He's retiring with his with his millions. He'll be uh, in his beach house very happily ensconced yes. um, while uh, somebody else gets to clean up the mess. Yes, and the previous MD knew all this as well. Yeah, yeah, all that sort of I seem to remember. Yeah, no, there was one in between. He moved on to Westpac's board. Oh, yeah, yeah. You remember? They, all, they all shuffle around. Yeah, yeah, it's, right. it's, it's, it's a great merry-go-round of uh, directorships and uh, and, and uh, slush yeah. goodies and all sorts of things, yeah. yeah. And Blue Sky seems to be in the paper again this week as, as the <laughs> brokers are dropping their target prices down and down and down. 
Down, down, deeper and down, as they say. Prices are down at Blue Sky. Yes, Blue Sky we've talked about before. This is the um, alternative uh, private equity fund, but uh, has some very hard assets to value, and it got attacked from a uh, very high-profile short-selling firm in the U.S. called Glaucus, uh, which put a $2.66 valuation on the shares. Um, they were currently, uh, at the time, they were around uh, 11 or 12 bucks. Um, the stock has subsequently fallen like a rock, and every attempt the company has made to kind of head off the allegations and the issues um, has, uh, has just resulted in another shot in the foot. And, of course, um, eventually this, uh, this week, or I think it was late last week, they managed to uh, put out a profit warning saying that basically uh, um, things weren't as good as they thought they were. They had a good look at the business, decided that the assets they had managed uh, weren't uh, as valuable as they thought, therefore fee income wasn't going to be as much as they thought, and therefore also that they weren't going to be able to do as many deals as they thought. So um, this has turned into a, a real debacle, and it has been. this will be uh, when students of MBAs in years to come look at how a company ha- handles a crisis, this will be up there as the textbook on how not to handle the crisis, uh, much like the uh, Ardent Leisure uh, CEO Deborah Thomas did with the uh, Dreamworld tragedy. Yeah, well, that was people's lives. At least this is just some money. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, And uh, things are a bit better at Whitehaven, though. The sales are up 10% in in the third quarter, increasing demand for coal. Yeah, well, all commodities at the moment are doing very, very well. Uh, Whitehaven came out with some pretty good production numbers. We've seen good production numbers from Rio's as well. Um, and across the board, resources is really the sector that's firing the market at the moment. Um, and I guess part of that is is the geopolitical consequences of uh, US versus Russia in terms of sanctions and uh, taking some of the Russian production of nickel and aluminium out of the market. Uh, stocks like AWC have soared recently. Um, and we've seen some big, big commodity price rises as well. So, um, you know, you put in some of the supply being taken out of the equation uh, coupled with uh, this global growth story, and you're seeing commodity prices doing pretty well, and Whitehaven's been really enjoying that, uh, that rise in met coal and uh, steaming coal as well. So um, so things are looking pretty good. And we had Chinese GDP came out, surprise, surprise, at 6.8%, which was just exactly where they said it would come out. Oh, it's um, which amazing. Is a, which, it's amazing. It's amazing, isn't it? In the, a country the size of China, one and a half billion people, um, can do their GDP calculations in 18 days. Mm-hmm. Extra- extraordinary. Obviously got those supercomputers developed at the University of New South it, Wales. It, it must be artificial intelligence that's, that's right. doing that. Yes. So, <laughs> so over, over at Woodside said they're not interested in looking to acquire Santos at the moment? Uh, no. Well, Woodside just raised uh, $2.5 billion dollars at uh, around that $27 mark. So they've been under a bit of a cloud. While the rest of the oil sector has been doing pretty well um, on the back of um, West Texas heading towards 80 bucks, and the Saudis are now talking about how they'd like to get it to 100 bucks. Uh, Woodside have been a bit of a laggard. We've had it in our um, as, as a trade for our uh, clients and also in uh, one of our portfolios. So it's, it's been playing a bit of catch-up, but they don't look as if they're going to buy Santos. Santos at the moment are under a bid from um, a U.S. kind of... Uh, 
dominates our private equity company called Harbour Energy, which works down at around $6.41 at current prices. Um, they're paying $4.98 in US terms. Um, but uh, the market's still a little worried that that deal won't go through. But it's not entirely impossible that we will see uh, some other bidder emerge for Santos, which has come out of the casualty ward, the ICU, and is uh, now subject to a takeover bid. So mm. whether, it, whether it gets through the Treasurer and the FIRB remains to be seen. But... Um, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, it's about six dollars now for six fifty. So there's a fair gap there. There is um, my argument, and I have to say I'm, I've been a fan of Santos for a long time. My argument is that given the oil price where it is, what would Santos be without the bid? And probably around five fifty. Mm. Um, so you know, if you can get it at five ninety or thereabouts, you're risking forty cents downside for a sixty or seventy cents potential upside. So the odds are more stacked in your favour. As they climb, of course, the odds start to diminish. Um, and given that energy, gas, oil, and the whole electricity equation is a very political uh, football in Canberra, um, you know, we have to bear that in mind when the Treasurer decides whether a takeover of Santos would be in the national interest or uh, deny it like he did with Woodside and Shells all those years ago, not, not Scott Morrison, mm. but one of his predecessors. Yeah, that's right. And, and also you've got the South Australian government's going to have to consent as well. So, Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, Santos is to some extent a bit of an Australian icon, especially in yeah. South Australia. I mean, there's a South Australian... Um, you know, oil and gas business, and for many years it was uh, uh, takeover proof because there was a uh, legislation in place that uh, wouldn't allow it to be taken over. So it is uh, iconic, and it will struggle to uh, to get up this bid. But I think at the end of the day, they will get it through by hook or by crook, um, by you know being nice to the government, and saying all the right things. Yes, and Jupiter Mines is relisted. Yeah, I, I actually. Uh, this in the small cap pool uh, that I run yesterday. Um, they listed at 40 cents uh, on IPO. I traded briefly down to 38 yesterday. A little bit of stock coming on the market. They've been out of the market for four years. They've got a manganese mine in South Africa called Chippy. Um, I actually spoke to the CEO on uh, Sky Business yesterday. He was a very nice guy whose name I had no idea how to pronounce. So I kept uh, kept it best and called him Sir. Um, so uh, it was far easier than trying to go for his uh, his name. But yes. the important thing, I guess, is that Brian Gilbertson is behind this. He's the non-exec chair. He's the guy that put BHP and Billiton together. Um, and it's uh, it's a pretty uh, world-class mine they've got in South Africa, throwing up a lot of cash. They've got a high dividend ratio uh, policy of around 70%, um, and the cap's at around $800 million. It's been off for a while. The words of the CEO yesterday were, you just sit back and count the money and wait for the dividend checks to roll in. So... Um, that doesn't look a bad bet at the moment, I have to say. JMS is the code. Yeah, I, I put an order on for some for me today too. Um, yeah, no, I think in a, in a world where resources are doing well and manganese seems to be one of the uh, flavours of the month, um, these guys seem to do it quite well. They've got good backers and now they've got some cash, so it should be okay. And so if you want to keep up to date with all the, the, the daily news, how do we... How you, do we can, you can go to marcustoday.com.au and you can sign up for a free trial. And if you do, I have to say, I put something in today in the, our Insiders thing on uh, Alibaba, a, a presentation that uh, I went to, which was filmed. Extraordinary stuff. Jack Meyer has a, a vision for the company going out to 2036. 2036, 2 billion users by 2036. Extraordinary stuff. Well worth signing up and having a look at that presentation if you do nothing else today. Okay. Thanks, Henry. Talk to you in two Thanks. weeks. Uh, a week, Good. sorry. Okay. <laughs> Bye, Henry. Bye. And we are going to talk about 
preparing, getting ready to buy a home. So, Stephen Pritchard, I suppose um, a home, yeah, it's a big ticket item, isn't it? Big two items. Um often said to be the largest purchase that anyone makes in their lifetime. And moving is one of the biggest things. Oh, moving. I hate moving. I hate moving. Uh, Have you moved much, Jane? Uh, No. There you go. Um, Okay, yeah, so it's one of the biggest purchases. And the first thing you need to think about is um, you need a deposit. So so generally generally the financial institutions will lend you um, 80% of... um, the purchase price, um, there are, uh, particularly the building societies, um, will lend you up to 95%, but they generally want mortgage insurance, which can be quite expensive. So, so you do have to have something together before you you settle on your yeah, desirable so, home. Yeah, so first of all, you need to do a bit of planning here, because you know if you're looking at a uh, $600,000 house, we're talking about a deposit of one hundred and twenty thousand dollars there, which is a lot of money, and uh, at eighty percent and at five percent, you're talking about thirty thousand um, dollars. So, so you need to look at your current financial position, risks, look at realistically how much you can save and what you need to borrow. I mean, because we'd all like to go and buy the the seven million dollar house on the beachfront. Um, which I don't think we've got one of those in Newcastle yet, but it won't be long, I suspect. Um, but but we'd all like to go and buy that. But unfortunately, um, the budgets don't just stretch to that. So you need to be realistic on on what you can afford. So you need to to look at how much you how much your income is, and a number of the financial institutions now have on their websites where you can basically put in your income, and they will give you an estimate of how much they will lend. Oh, that's useful. That's useful. Now, um, yeah, so you can start by, you know, and that will give you some idea of what what type of house you can afford. So what sort of things are involved then in when you make a loan in... Well, uh, I mean, what, what, what I would do is I, what the process I would go through is look at the, put in the software on, on once you, you know, probably use a couple of different ones because they've all got different lending criteria, but they'll all come up with a similar type of number you, you can afford. Um, and then go along and talk to the, the manager at the financial institution or the home loan person and they will give you a better idea because they've, they've all got slightly different lending criteria. So the major variables though will be how big your deposit is, um, what sort of income you've got and what sort of job job you've got. I mean someone unfortunately um, with casual employment won't rate as highly as someone you know full-time employed by uh, someone such as the government or something like that. Ah uh, yes. Yeah so, so, so as a part Part-time wage earner, or maybe a casual wage earner. You, Casual's probably worse. You probably because yeah. you've got no guarantee of, of an income down the track. That that's right. And but then again, you know, there is some. If you've been casually employed with someone for five years and you're basically getting you know the same amount of money, that, mm-hmm. that will that, that's going to have more stead mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. you've got a job at the local bar and you've been there three months and. You work Wednesday night and Friday night, for example. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you need to, you know, what you need to do is, is you need to first step look at the software, uh, get some realistic expectation of um, what you can afford on how much you can save, and now the the, the 
the the banks and credit unions are, are getting sold quite sophisticated on your savings ability now because there's there's some software in there that estimates what your your what your um what your average person consumes depending on how many people in the family and it's put together based on ABS stats. So if the average type person, uh, you know, needs, for example, $25,000 a year to live and you're telling them you're only going to need 10 and therefore you can pay extra loan repayments, it's not going to wash. Mm, okay. It's not going to wash. And, of course, it's not just the purchase price of the home. You know, the home, because uh, the biggest thing, on it is um, the biggest cost on top of that is the stamp duty. Um, uh, there is some there is some um, concessions for first home buyers in certain circumstances, so you need to go and go and look at that. Um, and that is also valued on the the, the um, value of the property. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, the way the property prices are going up, um, that first. Um, stamp duty and concessions becoming worth less and less. Okay. Mm. Well, we'll take a look at more of the beautiful picture of preparing to buy a home, but it's always better to be prepared rather than be surprised. And uh, I suppose we haven't talked about pre-approval, but you do see that mentioned in various things, Stephen Pritchard. Yes, a, a number of uh, is kind of pre-approval. A number of financial institutions offer this pre-approval process where you can go in and they'll approve the the, the home loan um, subject to uh, certain conditions um, uh, up to a certain amount. So you, that way, you know how much you've got to. Um, you've got to spend. I mean, however, one of the most important conditions they put on is this valuation clause. So if, 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 if you, for example, you know, they have approved you for a loan of, say, $600,000, and then you go and offer $600,000 for a property, and the bank, the bank, you know, valuer comes out and things only valued at 500000 that doesn't mean that the bank will you know, still advance the money or the financial institution. Okay. So pre-approval is there to give you an idea and pre-approval will, will, will work in a lot of cases, particularly if it's auction, yes. um, because they tend to value the, the auction price, the sale price. But there's still issues about um, valuations and, and, and things down the track on on, on that. Um, now, there's, there, there are, depending on uh, what category you are, um, and means tested. There's numerous grants available for uh, various home buyers, okay. and um, you need to probably, you know, check those out to see whether they're where they're they're applicable to you. And there is still some uh, the old um, cop housing societies around that give you uh, low income loans for for sorry low interest loans for um, low income earners um, but you know the interest rates are pretty low at the moment you know, they're, they're, it's not hard to find a loan at three high threes now okay so it's worth having a look around and it's worth having around you need you need to spend time looking around about the home looking around at the home as much time as looking around on the finance. Right, the finance really is very important because you're yep. not going to get your home without that, are you? That's right. And yeah. and you need to think about your, not just what now, what your future requirements are in the future. Yes. Because um, it's quite expensive to it's quite expensive to change houses. Yes, yes, yes all I those mean, extra things. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if the changeover costs, you know, $50,000 plus by the time you have to pay the stamp duty and you have to pay the agent's commission to sell it and then you've got the moving and the legals. I would have thought the change over 50000 is low. Mm. 
Mm. So it's, well, there's quite a lot to think about, but quite a lot. there are some things to help you. There are yeah. guides to help you on. Uh, yeah, as I said, the institutions, we've got websites, calculate your homeland rates. Um, and uh, there are there. some grants available. There's some grants available. Okay. Well, thank you, Stephen Pritchard. And we. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.